Yo, welcome to the My City Podcast. Yo, 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 welcome back to the My City Podcast, episode 49. Got your boy Sam, got your boy Ire. How's it going, people? How's it going, people? I hope um, everyone's staying safe. Stay safe, man. Stay safe. Man, this is crazy out there. It's crazy still. We got Mr. Dr. Jamil. How you doing, bro? I'm fine, thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you so much for jumping on, man. Um, Jamil is a doctor in A&E at the moment, so he's right on the front line. Um, joining us to um, you know, have a deep dive into this coronavirus topic. Going to look at it from a health perspective, deep dive into the science, and then... So share our experiences. Um, so yeah, thanks again, Jamil, for jumping on. Oh, no worries. Thank you, guys. And I will also, also talk about um, how we can, um, you know, what, what the resistance to this apocalypse will be, and also um, how what we can do, how what we can do in the meantime till like a vaccine or something is released. Yeah. Um, before we before we tune on, if you haven't already tuned into episode forty eight. We had our friend Nizionomics on, and we spoke about the, the financial implications that this coronavirus pandemic will have. We spoke about the different kind of jobs that will be affected, and where we can see job loss, where we can see some job growth, and the future outlook also. So tune into that already. Cool. Do you cool. want to kick, kick, kick us off? Yeah, let's um, start with Dr. Jamil. Um, do you want to quickly give us a brief intro into yourself? We'll do a bit of a long one at the end. But just tell us briefly who you are, um, what kind of medicine you do, and yeah, just brief intro. Cool, cool. Okay, so I'm Jamil. I'm currently in F3 now. So that's F3 is, stands for Foundation Year 3. Okay. So when you're in England anyway, once you qualify for med school, you go straight into F1, Foundation 1, you do Foundation 2, and then you get your full medical license. And then after that, you can either, that's when you kind of branch off after that point. You can either go into your specialty, your specialty training or do what I'm doing as a locum doctor, try to find your feet a bit more, find out the kind of things you're interested in. So I've been up in Essex and Basildon since my F1 year and I'm still there now. Okay, um, oh, you're based in Essex at the moment? Yeah, yeah. What's it saying? Is it, um, is it very busy or like, because obviously, you're, you know, we hear about King's College that experiences of some NHS stuff at the moment is just crazy are you are you finding that kind of thing in Essex as well yeah I think it's it's hitting us everywhere um good thing in Essex though we've got a lot of protection you know they've really they've really come through for us with the the PP personal mm. protection equipment okay so all our staff are really well protected all right cool cool all right then so um as anyone who's not living under a rock knows at the moment we're going through um you know, an outbreak of um, COVID-19, which is a strain, a strain of the coronavirus virus. Um, so we wanted to, you know, get a bit of an understanding from, you know, all of us did a bit of science <laughs> in our time. So <laughs> so um, what do people know about viruses in general? So, you know, the structure, um, how they replicate and cause infection, cause, cause illness, really. So the thing with the virus, um... It's not a bacteria. So bacteria technically live in organisms. You can put a bacteria on a table. As long as it's got nutrition, it can keep replicating on its own. 
you put a back you put a virus now on the table and you leave it there it's not going to replicate it can't replicate at all by itself because it's technically not living it hasn't got all the components of life to reproduce so the re the way it reproduces is through a living host so within case of coronavirus in humans in the lungs once it gets into the body that's when it's now able to hijack the the body cells for itself to start replicating to overdrive doing that and then that leads to a plethora of different illnesses and that's how it becomes contagious and things and that, that and that's one of the reasons why it's very hard to treat viruses or like bacteria because as they invest as they um, invade bodily cells killing them often means killing some of your own bodily cells as well and that's why they're quite difficult to treat yeah because it's them um, and um antibiotics don't work against them you need specific antivirals in order to treat them and since coronavirus is new, I haven't got any at the moment, and vaccines have been looked into. I think they're thinking we might have one in 2021. 2021. Yeah, so... i got some holidays to go on to before that, bro. <laughs> I mean, Matthew put a hold, you know. <laughs> what are you telling us is that when all them guys who don't wash their hands and kind of been buying hand sanitizers, they're causing a lot more, they're causing a lot more danger to this pandemic, yeah? Yeah, like I can't, I can't emphasize that enough. Since, especially the way viruses work, um, since this is a novel coronavirus, a new virus, we have the majority of people, over 99% of people have no immunity to this at all. It's spread to any and everyone. And also since we have no treatment to it, the only way we can actually fight this thing is through social distancing. That's literally the only way we can fight it. Because it's not like the flu where we have a vaccine where if... 30%, 40% of the population get vaccinated, they act like a shield for everyone else to stop the virus spreading. Whereas since there's no vaccine for this, there's no defense, it just spreads to any and everyone. Yeah, and, ob yeah. and obviously you mentioned the flu, um, obviously Sam, you mentioned the coronavirus. So for those listening, obviously um, a coronavirus, or well, what is what, what this particular one is, is caused by the severe acute respiratory syndrome coronavirus, or SARS-CoV-2. Yeah, this one's called, so they're calling this one SARS-2 um, because it's quite similar to the SARS outbreak in terms of genetic structure that happened in 2003. So it's quite similar, so they're referring to it as um, SARS-2. Yes, and it measures around, for those, for those geeks listening, like me, it measures around 125 nanometers across and consists of 30 genes. Um, so yeah, even... even we go back to the structure um i think one of you mentioned um washing hands like it's, it's it's you know when it first when you know these politicians and that were saying you know as simple as wash your hands to combat it not combat it but like that's the that's the strategy that we're implementing to um fight this it's because you know the way they're able to get into ourselves is through having something called a glycoprotein on their on their outer membrane so what i understand is that by washing your hands with soap and water that actually destroys the membrane which means that they can't attach onto our cells and then get in because once they're able to get in that's when they're able to um sort of take over our cells ability to um replicate and then the cell starts to, re to recognize the virus's dna as the host cell which causes it to continually replicate and then you know, um, and then spread throughout the body, essentially. Exactly. I couldn't say about myself. That's, yes, yeah, pretty much exactly. Definitely. Okay, cool. So then if we, um, so, so another thing I've heard as well is that we've, that it sort of originated from bats 
Um, I think there was some sort of genetic... People eating meat, people eating <laughs> cooking bats and frying pans in China. <laughs> now, my understanding is that you can't actually catch it directly from a bat. So the bat had the original virus, but then it would have had to go through an intermediary, which we would eat. And the China thing that you're mentioning, like there are, you know, they have their wet markets where there's a lot of animals in close proximity and that. And then you have these yeah. things called mutations, which... Um, will slightly change the outer member the outer protein that I was talking about, which allows um the virus to attach to a different species, which then starts to see the madness that we're seeing now. Um, yeah, obviously because someone someone injected uh, or ate um sick meat. Um oh, you've had, uh, yeah that meat would have said, yeah. that meat that meat would have contained that virus. Yeah. I mean how else did it go into the person or did it fly? It just like it's crazy because you know you get all sorts of people saying why are Chinese people eating all of this madness and it opens up a whole other kind of worms. Yeah, uh, yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't want to contribute to um, xenophobia, right? Um, but one could argue that the last three or four pandemics did originate in China, but that's not a podcast for that. So uh, let me not throw China on the bus. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but Jimmy, what are your thoughts on that? Like, you know, in the NHS, what 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 are they telling you guys? Like, how what caused what what started this initial um, pandemic scientifically? Yeah, so that's the that's the general consensus now that there was originally a bat. So bats are one of the animals known as a natural animal reservoir. They contain thousands of viruses, and they think there was an intermediary. Um, I think it's called a pangolin. Animal oh, was it not a pig? Was it not a pig? I, I heard a pig though. As in, I heard oh. it was a pangolin, but as in, I'm not too well versed in that, so you, you might be right. I'm not sure. But yeah, what, kind but... of, what animal is that? Pangolin. How do I describe it? What kind of family is it? Like a bird? Is it? Is it what? What is that? I don't actually know. You know, it looks it's really strange. Like if you see, I've never seen it. Yeah. Before. yeah so if you Google it, it looks really weird. I'm not sure what yeah. animal it is. Uh, cool. Sorry for interrupting. Yeah, yeah. Go no, it's fine. It's fine. But yeah, and then that's what's led to the first transmission into humans. And as viruses do, like the flu, for example, why we need a vaccine every year, viruses are able to mutate really quickly. So they change the genetic structure. The body's no longer able to recognize it, so it can sneak back in again and trick the human body. So it's mutated now, going from these animals into humans. And you know, fast forward like four months later, here we are. Right. We'll get into what could have been done in you know in terms of early interventions. But um, obviously now we hear the words pandemic, epidemic. Um, what are they? What do they mean for like the average Joe? Oh wait, wait, wait! One second, Sam. One second. Uh... Did Jamil, did you answer, did you answer um, how the virus actually causes illnesses? Because a lot of people, because there's a lot of viruses in us which don't cause illness. Do you want to uh, tell us about how it actually causes damage? What's inside you? Like, we know with AIDS or HIV, for example, they go into white blood cells and destroy white blood cells when they replicate. And what that means is over time, you decrease your white blood cells and therefore you can't deal with common immune issues such as the cold or flu. Um, because yeah. you've got such a low level white blood cells, so that's how HIV kills you indirectly. Mm-hmm. Um, how does this coronavirus, how does it kill you? How does it actually attack us, just for those who don't know? So, so firstly, when it gets into the body, into the what we call the T-zone, so that if you imagine the capital T on your face, your eyes, nose and mouth, yeah, going to the human body, once it gets in there, and it can get to the lungs. Um, as you were describing earlier, it's got proteins on the surface. So once these attach onto the um, epithelial cells in the lungs, it's able to gain entry into the lung cells. So once it's in there, now it's able to hijack the um, machinery within the cells, trick the body into replicating itself, 
and then it goes into overdrive, creating thousands and hundreds and millions of new cells, which erupt out of the initial cell it went into. So it goes in, takes over the place, creates loads of itself. The cells, the, the, the initial cell can't function properly anymore. And then once that's destroyed, it releases loads of chemicals out. Now the human body obviously realizes something's going on here. So those chemicals are sort of like a cry for help. The body's saying, hey, there's something going on here. Can you send backup, send people to come in? That's where the white cells come in, other cytokines come in. And once those are triggered, so I'm trying to explain more. Um, too much detail. No, go to you, man. I'm learning. <laughs> this is great. Continue, bro. Yeah. Need to feel that. Oh, he said, wait, let me, let me, let me take a little exam after this. Get my certificate. He said, he help ourselves at that. No, no, that's that's. Yeah, yeah, go to you, bro. So you've got the lung alveoli, yeah. So that's like the sacs within the lungs. So you've got thousands of little alveoli, that's what fills up with the air, and that's what allows oxygen to go into the blood and carbon dioxide to come out. The alveoli uh, also release a substance called surfactant. So it's like a liquid that allows it to allows the balloon to stay uh, to stay patent, basically, to stay open. Without surfactant, it collapses on itself, so the lungs can't expand without that. Yeah? Yeah, but and obviously if you're smoking and your lungs yeah, yeah. are black, yeah, continue. Exactly, yeah, which is, uh, that's one of the worst things. So once the cells have come in, and they've damaged that around. You get a buildup of fluid within the lungs, again, due to cytokine, due to the inflammatory response. It causes increased um, permeability within the actual lungs to fluids to allow more backup to come in. You get a buildup of all these fluids within the, within the actual lungs itself and outside as well, which is which what we call edema. And if you, as you can, so we call that edema when you get a buildup of fluid within the body. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so all this damage is causing, causing a buildup within the lungs. And as you can imagine now, the lungs are full of fluid. You can't actually get oxygen in. Mm -hmm. This is why you get people that are having breathlessness, they're having coughs and things, because it triggers nerve responses within the body as well to make you cough. The body's trying to get rid of whatever the... the, the, virus, the yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. Or this foreign body within the lungs is not meant to be there. Yeah. So it's causing your body to cough. It's causing... Um, and then as you're breathing in, it's just basically a blockage. It's full of water, so you can't actually take in the oxygen. And that's a lot of the time what ends up actually killing people. Killing people, exactly, yeah. And that's so, why we need ventilators. Yeah, precisely, yeah. That's why we need ventilators to actually breathe for people. It's just mm. me. It's so mad because, um, like, so, like I think Iri was saying earlier, like, coronavirus is a family. So, like, there's been, like, you know, lesser, deadlier strains of coronavirus in the past. Yeah, and, exactly. Um, yeah, exactly. And I've heard in the, I've heard, like, you know, um, the other strains of coronavirus, they only get into your upper respiratory tract, so like your throat, your nose, all of that, yeah, which yeah, is yeah. why, which is why um, you tend to get like a, a cough, unproductive cough that's trying to cough out this thing that's in their throat, and then a fever, a fever as well. I think is the body's, um, the body like tends to increase the temperature to make it a harsh virus for a harsh environment for like foreign um, viruses and bacteria and all of that try and make them not survive yeah, exactly. but then with this with this what i understand is like you said it, it gets to lower parts which starts to cause like mad 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 things which um mm. we're seeing in we're seeing yeah. Yeah, exactly. yeah. so once it's there exactly so because this virus is slightly heavier than normal viruses so it often settles at the bottom of the lungs but why is it able most to of the get patients there? we is see it... when they come in we look at the chest x-rays obviously if you breathe if, obviously if you breathe it in, where's it gonna go 
gonna go into your lungs. No, but I'm saying, no, I'm saying, why is it able to? Is it just the mutation? The mutations made it easier to get further down, like or survive that fever or that higher temperature, higher up in your respiratory tract. Yeah, that's the issue. It's not that. It's just, it's just an actual heavier. Just the actual particle itself is heavier than the average virus, so it can sink lower when you breathe it in. Mm. And in terms of the fever and stuff, like 80% of people, your immune system should be able to deal with it. It's the remaining 20% that's really affecting where you can't put, put up the adequate immune response. And you go into respiratory failure, septic shock, and things like that. Mm. So, those, so those people that don't experience any symptoms, is it just because their immune system is so patterned that like, it's, just, it's just killed straight away? Or, or why, why are some people asymptomatic? Yeah, that's it. If you have, uh, that's one of the reasons. Yeah, if you have a really good immune system, because um, you know the incubation, uh, the incubation phase of coronaviruses is about five days. So that's mm. how long it takes to be within the body for you to actually start showing symptoms. Okay. Be infected, and then it, the virus tries to replicate, tries to do all the things. Mm. And in about an average of five days, most people start showing symptoms. The people right. that don't generally are their immune system is strong enough Oops. or. Certain things have happened to stop the virus before you get to our hand in the body. But you, but you know that phrase that I've always thought though that if you have a fever, if you have a cough, it means your immune system's strong because that's your immune system response to getting, out, getting yeah. rid of that. Yeah. Um, I thought it was the other way around. I thought if you're someone who's always having a fever, someone who's always having a cough, does that mean your immune system is probably too strong? Well, that's the, if you've got to the point where you're actually showing symptoms like a fever and a cough, it means the virus has probably spread quite a bit. Oh, so it's taken a hold of your body already? Yeah, it's probably already done quite a bit of damage. Already. Well, not even damage, but it's just, it's got a, a significant presence within the body. Mm. It has to resort to those um, measures. Whereas if you don't have anything, your body didn't kind of killed it before it even took off. Quick mm. one, uh, quick one. Is anyone of you typing? Because um, I can hear background noise. Is that you sound? Uh, no, it's not me still. No, it's not me still. Uh, quickly, I was going to ask um, either of you, what causes the loss of smell and um, taste? I think a lot of people have reported that as well as a symptom. That I'm not too sure about. I'm not too sure about what causes the, the loss of smell and taste. Okay, all right then. Cool, cool. Uh, smell and taste are often, they're really linked anyway. So if you lose smell, nine times out of ten, you're going to lose your sense of taste anyway. Mm-hmm. All right then, cool. Probably, probably similar to that upper respiratory tract that is the presence of it is just, you know, doing, doing higgy has that, bro. All right, cool. So, um, epidemic, um, what is an epidemic? What's a pandemic? What's the difference? So an epidemic is basically where you have a disease that affects a large number of people, but it's restricted to work within a community. A pandemic now means it's spread over multiple countries and continents and regions. Yo, bro, just quick, quickly say that, quickly say that definition again, please, because um, I think you cut out just briefly. Oh, so, so an epidemic is basically a disease that affects a large number of people within a confined area or within a community or region. Okay. Whereas cool. a pandemic is basically the same thing, but it's spread over multiple countries and regions. It's no longer contained before. So technically, you could say the coronavirus was an epidemic in China. Yeah. Mm. It's spread everywhere. It's now become a pandemic. Okay. Okay, good. And then one thing that um, we've seen the scientists and the government, you know, reporting every day is the curves and um, just sort of epidemic data. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, so you know, so once there's an epidemic, is it possible to predict uh, what it's going to look like? Um, how, how is that data and, and those curves used to, you know, make decisions and strategize? 
Yeah, so most viruses or infectious diseases, they have something called a reproductive number. That's what we call R0. So that is basically how many people the average person will infect if they get that virus. So for coronavirus, it's I, th I think it's 2.3, 2.2. Um, the flu is like 1.3. So that means every person that gets coronavirus will infect on average 2.2 people. Um, obviously, you're going to have people that do more, people that do less. You're going to have super spreaders that affect like 100 people, but that's normally the average. And then using those numbers, infectious disease experts are able to predict through the past, through the uh, different pandemics we've seen in the past, how many, how, how the growth curve should look, depending on the population density, people around, how people are moving and things like that. All right, okay. I got you. And um, that's used to sort of so how how was that used in the uk to um you know determine what we're going to do in response to the um, initial epidemic in china we had um we're, we're uh, like what's happening in italy it's really bad mm. i was able to see because Italy was about four weeks ahead of us we we're able to kind of have a glimpse into the future of how what does that mean what does that mean four weeks ahead of us like what they got their first case four weeks before us yeah basically so our numbers, yeah, exactly, yeah. That's pretty. That's pretty much. Yeah. Ah, ah, cool, cool, cool. Spain as well. So we're able to see how their numbers fed right. to us, and how ours are going to fare as well. So we're basically just kind of comparing. They're normally very accurate. Mm. Just basically, just yeah, just thinking how many people there are in a place, and since this pandemic can affect everyone, you know, it's probably going to act the same way. People behave the same way. Mm. It's to be different. I think the skeptics and like. You know, like we're from um, um, African backgrounds, so you get a lot of them saying, "Ah, oh, like you know, you can't just say we're gonna get a hundred thousand deaths um, because the curve says that." Like people are quick to say, "No, like how can you predict the future? How can you confidently say that this is gonna happen?" And um, you know, a lot of people are thinking that maybe as a result, scientists and government sort of allowed things to happen because they just accepted that. You know, I mean, this is how the curve is meant to look. Do, do, you, do you have anything to say uh, on that? That's, that's completely ridiculous. It's not, people aren't saying this is just what's going to happen. It's taking a realistic look at things and using data mm. to actually try to combat this. There's no point saying, oh, we're going to be fine or it's not going to happen. It's always better to prepare for the worst, especially in cases like this. It's always better to over-prepare. Like, nobody wants to hear about a pandemic. Those are the best kind of pandemics. The ones that just squashed before we even get to our hand. Mm. But, but you know how I was gonna say I was gonna say, you know how um they're talking about the last few years they've been saying the threat of a pandemic's been high. How is that threat determined? How do they know a pandemic's you know could happen soon? Well again, it's just looking at the past. Like now in twenty twenty now we're more connected to to people than ever before. Previous pandemic, you look at things like the Spanish flu that happened in nineteen twenty. Mm -hmm. nearly as connected we didn't have anywhere near as many people as we do now i think we're almost pushing to eight billion people on the planet now um, you can literally catch a flight now anywhere on the planet you can be you can literally travel to all seven continents in the space of a week if you wanted to mm -hmm. yeah. yeah and also like there's, there's also our population's growing in general and there's not as much land being there's not a lot much buildings being built to, to cope with us so there's a lot more people and the space is decreasing between each person, so naturally, you're going to be able to pass on a lot more things a lot faster. Um, yeah, I was, I was going to ask you. Density, yeah. 
Yeah. I've asked a quick question, oh, but I think I've, I've, I've forgotten it. Uh, when it comes back to me, I'll ask. Um, but okay, oh, yeah, uh, yeah I, I forgot. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. So um, we've, we've seen that um, a thousand people, around a thousand people have died today alone in the UK. Mm. That's crazy. Now, uh, a lot of people are probably asking, um, could we have done a better job initially? And I think yes. Now, explain like from your in from your in NHS. Why is it we tried to spend the first week doing herd immunity? Why didn't we just do social distancing in the beginning? I know obviously you're not Boris Johnson, but he's probably advised by healthcare. He's probably advised by healthcare. Um, yeah. People, what what it's was really, the science behind it? It's really complicated. So I think hindsight is twenty twenty, isn't it? It's really easy to for us to look back and say, oh, we should have done this. We should have done that. Even now, you see people aren't respecting social distancing. It's really hard to just say to everyone, you know what, you're not allowed to go out anymore. We're going to cancel everything. Because as you said in your previous episode, you guys were discussing the financial yeah. application of this. You're, people are losing, like, I think this thing has cost the world something like 10 trillion, 10 trillion yeah. pounds, something insane like that. Like people are losing jobs, people are losing homes. You can't just yeah, 10%, say. 10% of the US are unemployed or something at the moment. Something insane like that, and it's actually affecting people. I think, yeah, go on, Jimmy. Sorry, go on, Jimmy. Go on. I was going to say, and then there's always there's there's always a balance. There's always the argument of is this actually doing is social isolating and self distancing actually doing more damage than the coronavirus actually will do in a few years' time, based on the economical damage and things like that. So it's not it's not an easy job for people like Boris Johnson, and that's why they've had to implement it slowly. Which is the power is in our hands as the population. We need to social distance. We need to do it ourselves. And and obviously we live in a free country. We're not in a in a dictatorship where you have military forcing you and having martial law in place to keep people in line. So you know it's a bit of a blessing and a curse in that regard. It's difficult. I guess the devil's advocate um, response to that would be, you know, it's it's good to like learn um, from other cultures and whatnot. So. You know, on, on one hand, yeah, we're, you know, it's a free country, it's a democracy, um, and blah, blah, blah. But um, it, some a lot of people are saying that health has not been the priority here when, you know, it really it really should be because these are people's lives. And, you know, we're talking about epidemiology. Like, mm. To a lot of people, it feels like another death is, like, is, is a number, it's a data sort, it's a data statistic, do you know what I mean? As opposed to, you know, that person that's lost their life and the family, and whatnot. So, you know, a lot of people feel like um, the government's response to this came very late. Um, you know, a lot, a lot of it, it doesn't seem like you know actions were really taken until February, and um, it also feels like there was a lot of emphasis on you know maintaining the economy, maintaining you know everything happening, like maintaining people's income really. When should that have been the priority, kind of thing? I know, like I said, it's, it's, I think it's really complicated. Because um, mm. on one hand, you could go four ways to say, you know, just lock down everyone for two weeks. No one's allowed to leave their house. Yeah, people are going to starve to death. Some people can't go out, but we, we know for a fact we'll beat this virus. So you can't go all the way that left field in regards to this. It's always a, ma- a massive balancing act for the government. I think they've done, it's really hard for them. They've done a really good job so far. So moving on to talk about um uh yeah. symptoms. What you no, say? Quickly dem- demographics quickly, um before we move on to symptoms. Um so there was a statistic that said 
I don't know how true it was, but about half of the UK deaths were black and Asian minority ethnics. And that's just alarming given the fact I think there's about 17% um, BME in the UK in total. Um, like I said, I don't know how accurate that is, but from your experience, um, have you seen more black people dying from this virus? And also, do you think there's anything in our um, genetic makeup that make us more prone to that? And, and it's, it's crazy because I remember when this thing was first about, <laughs> there was talk about Africans and Caribbean, the black people being immune to it. Can you, can you, can you, repeat, can you repeat yourself a bit, please? You broke up a bit. Sorry, which bit? Uh, so I was just saying, I was saying... Yeah, from, the, like, from when you talk about the, the um, demographic. Yeah, so in terms of demographic, I saw an article that said um, about 50% of the total UK deaths have come have been like a black or Asian person. And I said that's crazy, given the fact that there's about 17% black and Asians in the UK in total. So um was asking Jamil or yourself if... Um, if there's if that's accurate, if that's something you've seen, and if there's something in our genetic makeup that means that we're more prone to getting it, and you know it's crazy because um, a lot of us thought we were immune. Um, I, I actually haven't heard that statistic before, but if I was to venture a guess, um, you said there's like seventeen percent. What was the seventeen percent? Sorry, seventeen percent um, black people in total. In the, in the UK. In the UK. Um, if you look at somewhere like London, for example, the number will be much higher. It'll be close to, I think there'll be something like something like 50% or even 40% minorities in London. Whereas, and again, with a virus like this, it's going to hit places with a higher population density, higher than somewhere where people are naturally social distancing because there's just not that many people around. So that could play a factor into it. In terms of what I've actually seen, I live up in Essex. Well, I don't live in Essex, but I work in Essex. And the demographic mm-hmm. there is a bit more skewed. Okay. Can't really say I've seen that or see anything. Yeah. What about um, class? Probably better to ask someone in a London hospital. What I thought yeah, was that, what I thought was that um, a lot more men were being affected than women. I think seventy percent of all recorded cases were men and not women. And I guess the theory was because that men were more likely to smoke than women were. Uh, that's one. That's what I've seen when I'm doing my research. Um, yeah, but I guess uh, probably have to do some more research around that to look for behind the numbers behind that. What about age? Have you guys yeah, seen anything to do with age? age uh, there's, there's definitely a discriminating factor when it comes to age. That's only we've seen so far. Um, so is it is it the older you are, the more likely you are to get it or to die from it? Likely to get it, but likely to have serious complications as a result from getting it. Right. Okay. And are younger people immune, as as people are led to believe? Uh, anyone's immune. No, I don't think we've, I don't think anyone's immune. It's a new virus. The body's never seen it before. By definition, be, by, so by definition, you couldn't be immune to it. Um, yeah. Yeah, not immune. I meant less likely uh, to die. Yeah, yeah, much less likely to die the younger you are. But it does still affect young people. It's not as it's not just the disease that's affecting older people. It's, yeah, statistic wise. It definitely ends up the mortality rate. Yeah, in terms of numbers, um, uh, I, I can't find the UK one, but for the US uh, equivalent, um, African Americans make up around thirty-two percent of the whole UK of the whole uh, United States population. But okay. then, when it, when it comes to looking at all the deaths in the in the, in, the, in, the, in Louisiana, for example, 
Um, 70% of all deaths are African-Americans, whereas 30% of the population are just African-American. So that's quite heavily skewed. You know, for example, what that means is if there's 100 people in the state, um, 30 of them are black or African-American, and of the number of people who are ill, then 70% of that number of people who are ill are African-American. So that means it's, it's quite heavily um, proportioned to African-Americans in that state. Now, of course, that isn't, that isn't obviously necessarily applicable to the entire world. But I guess some numbers that some of the numbers that we have already for people who are just wondering. Um, speaking of affections, uh, we spoke about, Sam gave us some great knowledge about the proteins, and Jim will give us some great insight into how the virus uh, works in our lungs. Uh, speaking of symptoms, uh, I know we mentioned cough and fever. What are the symptoms of, have you guys experienced personally or seen other people experience or heard? The main ones are cough, yeah. fever, shortness of breath. Those are the main ones. Some other other ones are coming out, such as problems with the heart, problems with your digestive system, your GI system, um, vomiting, diarrhea, and things like that. But the main three ones are cough, fever, and shortness of breath. Yeah, I remember when I when I when I was sick two weeks ago. I remember um, I couldn't feel my um, I not I couldn't feel my legs, but I remember I was lying in bed and my legs literally felt like they were breaking. I had some severe body pain, uh, which tends to be common with them kind of viruses. Um, I had aches all around. I had a migraine. I had a kind of migraine where my head wasn't pounding, but my eyes were throbbing, if that makes sense. So, like, you know, the behind your eyelids was paining me. Um, I didn't have a cough, which was great, but what I did have was a bit of um, digestive um, symptoms, because obviously another way of uh, removing uh, toxins is through excretion, and not necessarily coughing. So, and so I, did, I did have a bit of a, a stomach, runny stomach in that, in that regard. Um, Sam, what about you? You got any personal experiences regarding the corona? Yeah, it's... Yeah, so it's, it's it's clearly a very individual um, disease because um, so I lost my dad to the disease. Um, he died 25th of March, so a couple of weeks ago. Um, so he has diabetes. Um, so that's his underlying condition. But it's you know it's very it's very well managed. He's he wasn't an ill man at all. Like he was never in hospital. Um, he has his medication. It's not insulin. It's something else. Mefren mefren certain Jamil you might know but um anyway takes that um, very healthy very normal very calm but then I think like a week before we ended up taking him to a hospital he was just extremely weak like all the time he was very 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 weak like he was um like struggling to get out of bed um he did not have an appetite um he like when when we made him eat because this Don wasn't eating like he would vomit it out and stuff. So um, it was just mad weird. It, interesting enough, he didn't have a cough and he didn't have a fever. So we didn't think it was corona. We didn't think it was that at all. Mm-hmm. So um, so then I think the final straw was like he, he started like fainting. So he was like really struggling to like stay upright. So, um, you know, demanded that he ring 111. Uh, yeah. After like time, like that, that call took time to get through. Mm-hmm. Um, they picked up and we explained the symptoms. They said bring him to A and E, brought him in. Um, they asked these symptoms. Um, even though like he didn't say a cough or fever, immediately they put a mask on him to, um, for like protect, just in case measures kind of thing. So yeah. then they took his blood, took his um, urine sample, and then um, they said 
they said he has something called an ACH. I don't, I don't know if I've misheard that, but it was something to do with his kidneys. They said mm-hmm. that um, there's basically evidence of his, of him being very dehydrated, which is in line with the fact he wasn't eating and doing anything, drinking and stuff. So all they told me that night that I took him in was that, um, you know, we're going to put him on antibiotics and um, give him a bit of a drip and it will be calm to pick him up in the morning. So I thought, cool. But then next day, um, all of a sudden, they were saying that his oxygen is not saturating at 100%. Um, yeah, so I think it was like 80, in the 80s or something like that. So they basically said they're giving him the highest um, dose of oxygen they can give him. Um, and, and like, yeah, so I think they called it oxygen therapy. And then, oh, oh no, I think they did a COVID test and it came back inconclusive or negative or something like that. So, oh, no, we still weren't thinking it was corona. Um, so putting him on the highest dose of oxygen, um, they're saying that it needs to get to 100%. So I think it was going to a like high of 96%. So they will say that that's worrying, given the fact that, you know, this is, they're giving him 15% oxygen, which is the highest, safest dose. Yeah, yeah. So, so as the days went on, they were saying, you know, he's got to make certain um, amounts of progress um, or we're going to have to intubate him with, yeah. a vent- with a ventilator. So it got to, I think I brought him in on the Sunday. They put him on oxygen on Monday. By Friday, they said, yeah, we've got to put him on a life support machine. Um, with, yeah, man, bro, cool, man, is what it is, but, um, yeah, so I had to put him in a coma, and then he was in the coma Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, all I was hearing was he was stable, but static, so no progress, but, um, stable, then Tuesday, Tuesday, they call us, and they're saying, you know, um, like, me and my mum should come and say our goodbyes, because he's deteriorated, um, and, yeah, like, Basically, he's hanging on by a thread um, that they need to basically turn off the life support machine. That's what's keeping him alive, essentially. There was a lot of back and forth because yeah. we, because I think his brainstem was still showing activity. So we were saying, you know, he's not dead then. Like, if Big Man shared brain activity, then even if it's a 1% chance, then, you know what I mean? Like, we're Christian as well, so we're like, God can do his thing and stuff like that. A um, lot yeah. of back and forth, but I think eventually he deteriorated again. They said like his kidneys were failing. Oh, and then by the time they took him to the life support machine, they said, yeah, he's tested positive for COVID. And then um, by the Wednesday, which is Wednesday morning, which then they switched it off, they said that it's, you know, it's damaged his kidneys, his lungs, and his blood pressure had dropped so low that his heart wasn't pumping properly. And yeah. then essentially he passed away so that that was our experience of it it was it's crazy because it was just so sudden it was very 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 sudden so it's um it's one of those it's one of those conditions that like it really just it, it catches you off guard like you know what i mean a couple of weeks ago man there's a big man and so yeah man that's that's my experience with it still i'm sorry man yeah bro man uh, sorry to hear, sorry to hear, Sam. Um, we appreciate the strength and uh, courage you've shown to um, speak about it online. Now, obviously, I was, was going to ask Jamil, <clears throat> leading, leading on from that, why is the virus so deadly? Why is it so contagious? I know the flu kills people every year, right? But I don't remember the flu being this contagious. Or is it because maybe there's such a long asymptomatic phase 
that you don't know you've got it before and then by that time you've already been in contact with hundreds of people whereas with the flu you know you got the flu so you can't spread it that much because by the time you got the flu you're at home Is yeah. it, what's the reason why it's so contagious well yeah it's a combination of those things it's firstly that um it's got a longer incubation phase than the than the flu so the incubation phase i was saying earlier is the amount of time it stays in the body before you show symptoms so whereas the flu is about two days incubation phase, then you show symptoms. Coronavirus is about five days. And some studies have even shown that coronavirus is actually infective, is infectious during the incubation phase, whereas the flu isn't. So you can't really spread the flu until you start showing symptoms. As you do you saying, know, sorry, go on. Sergio, I was just going to ask, do you know if it's infectious after death? Coronavirus? Yeah. Can it, can it still spread? We, we, don't, we don't have that much data on that yet, though, do it? Because there's, there's... But just the way it works, it shouldn't really be, because unless you're doing an invasive procedure... Because viruses can't live without a host. Um, because yeah. there's rumours that, um, you know, it can still spread after death, which is why a lot of patients are actually being cremated after after they pass on. I don't know, I just thought I'd, I'd ask if you if you had any experience or any knowledge of that. I'm not too sure about that, to be honest. Uh, Cool, cool. But, yeah, but yeah, what were you we saying in terms of um, why it's so contagious? Yeah, so the incubation phase is longer and it's also infective during the incubation phase. So you're spreading it. In those five days, you could have gone all around spreading it to countless people without realising. And also the fact that we don't have a vaccine for it means there's no herd immunity. There's no, there's no immunity to this at all. So it spreads to any and everyone, whereas the flu, again... Even if, it's just, even if it's just a couple of people, even if it's just 40% that are vaccinated, that they act as a shield to stop it spreading too far. We don't have that coronavirus. It's that combination of it being able to be spread before you know you have it, which is why they're telling everyone to self-isolate now. There's no point even waiting until you have the symptoms because it's too late by then. And us not having any immunity to it at all. How does them um, hurt... Yeah, I was, about to, I was going to say that, yeah. So, obviously, you're going to, you're going to ask how does herd immunity work, right? Yeah, that 40% figure, I don't understand that. How it works is by the majority of the population having an illness, they will gain immunity to it, and therefore the rest of the population won't get it. So, it's what they see happen in animals like cows and like herds. So, that's why they call it herd immunity. Yeah, but that, well, if you have 10 people, if you have 10, um, if you have 10 people, and if sixty, if six of them get infected, right, and then yeah. they get immunity, then what happens is we bring them back into the population because they got immunity and they don't have it anymore. Then no four people will never get it. After three, four people can infect themselves, though. Huh? No, because who's gonna give, who's gonna give it to the four people if the six people have already been killed from it? Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Hey, I get so you. I have to fear behind. Oh, and the reason why they do that is obviously because. If all 10 people get it, then there could be a chance of a mutation at some point. And what that means, mm. no one then got immunity to it because then it's been mutated. Uh, Jim will correct me, mm. of course. You're the expert. Yeah. Is when, so how do you mean to when you have a majority of the population or a significant number of the population are immune to a certain disease, so it can't spread around as easily or as fast to people? That's oh, how okay. we eliminate things like... So if you get up to like 80%, that's how we eliminate... We eliminated previous diseases like measles and things. You don't really see them around anymore, mumps and rubella, because even if the ten percent of the population don't get um, <laughs> don't get vaccinated against that, the remaining percent, the remaining ninety percent protects them. You need a certain yeah. number for the herd immunity to kick in. 
So you need a high percentage of people, then it just stops the virus being able to get anywhere. So in that case, is herd immunity, was it a, a sensible strategy or what do you think about the fact that, you know, the government clearly tried to pursue that first? Well, it's always the, it's the whole flatten the curve thing, isn't it? I think that's the main issue with coronavirus. It's such a, the way, just the general makeup of it, the way it is, it's very likely the majority of the population is going to get at one point or another. So it wasn't really a matter of stopping people getting it. It's how quickly people got it. That's why we wanted to flatten the curve rather than getting everyone at the start, overwhelming the NHS, overwhelming the ventilators, ITU systems. If we could spread it out, let people get it gradually, then the doctors, the ventilators, ITU departments could handle that with that. So in theory, herd immunity is really good. It does work with that. But it's just when it spikes out of control, then that's fine. So would you say that um not going into the government to to that, but would, are we still pursuing herd immunity or like what, what, what are we doing? Like, uh, it's not a minute anymore because um, everyone's staying at home. Everyone's supposed to be isolating. So this at is some more point going to come out. Yeah, so this is more of let it run its course kind of thing, I guess. Everyone's going to get it at some point, so let's not... I think this yeah, is... And that herd immunity, then? I, I don't know, because in here now... So if it was herd immunity, there'll be, we'll be all doing our thing naturally and 20% of people would have an immunity, whereas here, we've got small groups of people all over the world who are isolated well, ain't, so that's different ain't this, ain't, ain't this flattening the curve but still yeah flattening the curve sorry flattening the curve is is reducing the curve from being a peak literally as possible yeah but like i wouldn't call it herd immunity i wouldn't call it herd immunity because by definition we're not herd anymore we're just all individual subgroups no but the thing is like obviously a vaccine we'll get onto vaccine a bit but the cure for this is not on the horizon so isn't it a thing where we're flattening the curve till we get the capacity for NHS and treatment and all of that? Yeah, it, well, it is yeah. yeah, so we're flattening the curve, but there's different ways to flatten the curve. Herd immunity was just one of the ways. So we're still flattening the curve. Flattening the curve ultimately is for herd immunity because we want everyone to be immune. That's what I'm saying. In a slow way rather than... Because the whole issue is when everyone gets sick at the same time, then the healthcare system can't handle it. And that's when people will end up passing away. Yeah. Before we go into treatment and immunity, um, can we just spell out the stages of the illness? So I know, for example, Boris Johnson has gone into um, thingy, into, um, he went to hospital. He's out of ICU now still. Yeah. Yeah. Out of ICU. But are the stages just essentially the mild symptoms that you feel at home? You know, you may or may not get tested. And then that worsens to what is to shortness of breath or, or what are the stages? Yeah, so once you get into the, the shortness of breath stage, it's likely that you've got that fluid build up in your lungs. Yep. Which is, and then once that happens, you can get the lung infections. So the main two ways it kills people is through something called ARDS. ARDS. ARDS, yeah. So acute respiratory distress syndrome and septic shock as well. So those are the two ways it mostly kills people. Okay. And in yeah, go, go. go. And it's the same, yeah. So once you're getting shortness of breath, we start worrying that you're going towards a pneumonia, towards um, ARDS. Mm. That's a more advanced level of the disease. Okay, cool. All right, then. Um, treatment. Um, actually, quickly, immunity. How does immunity work? Is it that, um, so, you're, so for example, your body will, your body has a natural immune response so that's where it brings in the cytokines you're talking about yeah. brings in the white blood cells and all of that 
Well, then there's a there's another type of immunity, isn't there, which is more advanced. So the human body is amazing in that regard. I can't actually, it blows my mind. So not only does it destroy the virus, normally anyway, but it also keeps a record of those proteins that outside the virus you're talking about before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These certain white cells that present these proteins around, and they go around the body, sort of like holding the flag, being like, this is the guy we want, this is it. And then mm. it trains something we call plasma cells. So those are like baby white cells. It trains them up to re recognize what this looks like and to be able to attack it instantly. That's what immunity is, basically. So once you have that, your body knows instantly. So, for example, if you're immune to chickenpox, it doesn't mean it can't affect you. You probably do get affected by it. But your body destroys it before you even realize it. That's what I mean. 100%. Like, for example, Sam, when you have kids like, in a couple of months' time or whenever, um, yeah, what would happen is when, anti, when, that, when that chicken pox virus comes into your system, it will have an antigen or protein that um, yeah. some, of our, some of our white blood cells will keep a record of. And as soon as it comes into our system, the, the response will be a lot faster than the first time. Basically, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that's it. It, it, your body doesn't need to learn how to fight it again. It knows already. We've seen this thing before. We know how to, how it works. We know how to deal with it. And and that's what immunosuppressed individuals, people who have complicated immune issues, um, like HIV/AIDS, or people who taking um autoimmune um uh, suppressant um tablets or medicine, they are at larger risk because their immune system is already compromised. And then when the virus comes in, it's doing more, even more damage. And so that's why those people are especially at risk. And of course, that's what people, people with asthma are also at risk because they already have, by definition, breathing difficulties and a large number of mucus already in their throat. Um, and, yeah. and that's why, as a result, uh, those kind of people are some of the target areas. Um, and actually, the older you are, the weaker your immune, your immune system is, right? Um, yeah, exactly. And that's why elderly people are also a, a large, um, are also at higher risk in that regard. Yeah, Sam, what's your question? Sorry, Jamil, were you going to say something? No, go on. Uh, I was just going to ask, so... I've read that diabetes and um, high blood pressure, which are like obviously two things that are very common in like black people, are um, are again like what Ira just said, like if you're immunosuppressed. But diabetes and high blood pressure, from my understanding, don't really like suppress your immune system, do they? So why why is it that you're more at risk of like severe illness from this virus if you have diabetes and high blood pressure? Well, it's more, it's not more than just the first the um, immune system. It's when you have any underlying medical condition, the body right. needs to dedicate more yeah. resources, basically. Exactly. Yeah. Oh. Can't dedicate, whereas if you're fit and healthy, your body can dedicate 100% to fighting this thing. It doesn't have to split up its forces, so to speak, to deal with this thing, to deal with that. Obviously, some, some actual diseases straight affects the immune system itself. Yeah. What illnesses you have, or even smoking, things like that the immune system because it needs to divide up it can't mount an appropriate response or anything like that and that's why, and that's why um fatigue okay. that's why fatigue is uh, because oh. your body's using a lot of resources to deal with the virus and because you're using a lot of energy on that you're then left feeling tired and like lethargic because it hasn't got a lot of energy left to sustain your day-to-day -day activities okay okay cool Cool. So then, in terms of oh, yeah, I was about to say that as well. <laughs> uh, go on, go on, go on. I was just gonna say. So obviously, my understanding of a vaccine is they're gonna give you the virus, but they give you like a weakened form. I think attenuated, like a weakened form of it. So then, 
that generates what we were discussing earlier. So your immune response, the response baby. I thought it's good. You know, like come on, bro. <laughs> it recognizes the um, <laughs> it recognizes the receptors and everything. So can that weakened form make you ill? Can it can it go wrong? Can they like think they're giving you a vaccine but then kill you? You're not, you're not hearing what they're doing. You're not hearing what they're doing in these countries, fam. Where they're giving you. I'm hearing, bro. I'm you know, hearing. Yeah, I mean, their room is how they're, they're telling you they're curing um, cholera, but they're giving you AIDS or something. Hold up, What's wrong with you, bro? <laughs> yeah, I'm hearing it though. It's all sorts of conspiracies. We'll get into that still. But how does a vaccine work, basically? Yeah, that's basically it. So you have um, many different <laughs> vaccines. But what it, what it boils down to is kind of training your body before you actually have to go to war. So rather than waiting for the actual live virus to come in, for your white cells to destroy it, find that protein, present it around, you inject that protein already, you tell your body, this is what you're looking for already, get ready, this is what's coming. So you know about it already before it even happens. And that's why you can um, vaccinate against things like measles, mumps, rubella. You never have it in your life, but your body already knows how to yeah. deal with it. It's already, it's already been injected into you and your, your white cells have been trained. Okay, and everyone has to have that for it to be effective, or can herd immunity eighty percent work here as well? Immunity works up to a certain amount because, like, I know people that have had mumps, for example, they've never had the vaccine and things, and yeah. even the same places where people are against vaccines, and we've seen narrow yeah. it's like measles. Mm. So it, yeah, the more people that have it, the better it is for the population. Because herd immunity only works when you hit the critical number of people that have it. But you know what? You see, that, you see that whole vaccine stuff, Jamil, yeah? Why is it held enough for like five or ten years? I thought immunity lasts a lifetime. Uh, it depends. It depends on some immunities. Because um, it, it's like your white cells keep like a catalogue, basically, of all these antigens, these proteins. Sometimes they just need to be re-updated every 15 years. It just gets sloppy. True. Yeah, because in that gen again, white blood cells are always being recreated as bone marrow and stuff anyway. But I guess that could be why. Yeah. Okay, cool. Sam, was it a question there? Yeah, I was going to ask you a question about, like, culture, because I think you mentioned it briefly, you know, like, um, there's some cultures that are like, don't give me a vaccine, like, man, don't know what you're injecting in me, blah, blah, blah. Man, like, you're you're overweightness, bro, you're not taking the vaccine. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean, fam? But, um, yeah, like, to what extent is this considered when, like, you're rolling out, or, like, when the, the powers that be are rolling out strategies, vaccine strategies, and, and whatnot? Like, yeah. cultural... Like cultural issues, like would what would what would a scientist say to someone that said, "Ah, oh, like my culture doesn't allow me to take no vaccine." Like, yeah, that's a that's a philosophical question, isn't it? It's your human rights and freedoms versus the general well-being of the people, and and I think that might be a bit beyond the scope of this podcast, but. It's a good conversation, though, isn't it? Because oh, bro. No, it's a very, I think it's a very deep conversation and one that... talk about ethics and stuff and Hippocratic often that... Yeah, exactly. What people are really worried about in the future in terms of your yeah. freedoms, what you're allowed to... Your freedoms, you're allowed to be free if it means you're going to make the population sick, maybe draw the yeah. line and all of that. Can the government force you to do things you don't want to do, have things you don't want to have? Mm. Yeah, it's a very deep conversation, I think, we'll probably be having in the future. Do you know, um, yeah, yeah I, I, I think that's a pod still. I think we need to do a pod on that at some point still. Yeah, but yeah, good shit. Oh, definitely, you definitely should. That's, that'll be a good one. Wait, 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 he's here, you're inviting you, you, you come on. Come on, bro. <laughs> 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 what are we saying? Obviously, you know, you know, the drug company, 
companies like GSK and Fire and them are probably looking to make drugs. Like, have you heard anything in the industry so far about what what we're looking to do or like when a vaccine's coming out or what it would even look like? Uh, last time I saw it was they were thinking sometime in 2021. There was there were some antivirals I thought they worked, but I don't think they really. You're, you're please say that again. You're, you're, you're fizzing out again. Please say that again, bro. Yeah, I was saying that there were. I think the general consensus is that we will probably get vaccine sometime. Yeah, it's, it's still it's still a bit quiet. Still, Sam, is it only me? Can you? Still, Sorry, so I don't know what's missing. Um, yeah, they think in 2021 because it's a new virus, so you can't just create something and then test it on people. It needs to go through ex- extensive testing, like at least 18 months of testing for it to be safe for the general population to use. What's I'm hearing chloroquine is, is, is a certain that people are looking to take. Yeah, like an anti-malarial. And there were some studies, I'm not too, I haven't looked too much into the studies into it. But yeah, there some thoughts, um, trains of thought thinking it might be helpful. You know, things like the BCG they were thinking were helpful. But I don't think there's anything actually concrete out yet. You know, letting it. You know that um time, it's not really a time lag because, yeah, that's how it always has been, like, you know, the period between developing a drug and rolling it out to um, the people. But what, what what's actually being done in those 18 months that you mentioned? Because from my understanding, the manufacturing of the drug doesn't take that long. It's like... It's more the testing. It's the legal battle. You've got to, you got to, there's different phases of testing than you got to do clinical yeah. trials as well. Clinical so trials. You need, to, you need to use it on people. See, okay, so, okay, okay, cool. This works for now. But then you see maybe six six months down the line, it has other side effects. It's causing something else you didn't realize. So you, not only the immediate effects, you need to know the long-term effects of giving medication to people. Giving anybody, anybody anything. We need to know the ramifications in the future for them. So even in- one of the ramifications of chloroquine is that it has side effects such as renal and liver damage. So you have to weigh up the cons as well. So even in a yeah, yeah, exactly. so even in a scenario like this, where to be honest, me, I know we're gonna get onto outlook, but I don't see how we're safe until we've got like a drug or like a vaccine for this. Yeah, they can't even speed it up. They can't, like, say, you know what, he hasn't grown a third arm, so we're good, like, do you know what I mean? But you have to bear in mind, though, if, if you do that, you end up in a situation like, I am legend, fam, where everyone's a zombie. Because <laughs> remember, remember, yeah, in, remember in, I, in I am legend, um, everyone, they, they create a, a drug for cancer, right? Yeah. And a couple of years down the line, it kills all cancer. A couple of years after that, everyone turns into a zombie, bro. And then you turn into the apocalypse. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, we don't want the apocalypse. <laughs> no, we don't, we don't want that still. We don't want that. We want that. So, so we've got anti-malarial drugs, so I don't know, anyone know any, anything else that's being looked at? Is it is it existing drugs they're looking at or brand new? It's mostly so, existing because the brand new ones need to be tested. Just looking at... Even longer, yeah. 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 All right, then. All right, let's go into um, the government's response. So, um... You know, I'll throw out a um, view that some people feel like the government were too um, too slow in their appreciation of the seriousness of this. I know, like, January, there was a lot of focus on, like, Brexit. Um, and there's articles out there that say, you know, these men didn't even start beeping how serious this was. They thought it was maybe a China virus or whatever until, like, February, which is, you know, after Brexit was done. So... What what was the government's response to this pandemic? Yeah, after you, bro. Yeah, as I say, I think it's um, 
It's hard to say. I think the government have tried really hard, but it's also I think this thing swept the world really fast, really quickly. It's only it was only New Year's Eve we even heard about the first case in China. You know, it's just been like a few months later now, and it's completely shut the world down. I mean, man, said, man, said, man said we're in the end game now. I mean, I'm, I'm hoping it's the end game. You know, <laughs> I'm hoping it's end game now because. Yeah, God, it's really affected everyone, and it's getting a bit long now, to be honest. Yeah, Spain, well, the... I think Spain have just announced that they're going to um, keep lockdown to the third of May. It was supposed to end on the, um, I think it was supposed to end oh, on the seventeenth really? of April, but now it's going to be third of May. So maybe other world organizations are going to see it come through as well. Yeah, actually, yeah. let's let's talk about social distancing. So you said, um, Jamil, that that's a key way of um thingy, of mm-hmm. um, mitigating the spread. Like why, why is social distancing the method that's been chosen throughout the world and how does it work exactly? Well, traditionally, that's the only way to actually fight a virus without medication because we have no medication, we have no immunity. So the ways we you ever fight a virus is through immunity, through medication and through just social distancing, just not getting it in the first place. You know, prevention is better than cure. But since we haven't got the first two, what we can do now is social distance. And we know that since this is a virus, not a bacteria, in theory, it will die off on its own. If it can't replicate in people anymore, if we stop having new cases, it will die off. Yeah. So oh, really? Hang around. Yeah, that's how it works, isn't it? That's how it works. So everyone who's got it now, um, obviously, God forbid, um, uh, some of them die. Okay, I mean, yeah, yeah, so everyone everyone got it now will get immunity. So let's look at a positive outlook. Okay. Yeah. And, yeah. and then they can't spread it on us. And how it works is everyone else who doesn't have it won't get it because okay. they're isolated. But when you're immune, can you still pass it on? Uh, so well, that's, that's a good question, you know. But then I guess it depends what your definition of immunity is, though. Exactly, because once you're immune, you, uh, you need to have quite, you need to have a certain level of viral load in your body to be resistant to somebody else. So once you're immune, it's probably unlikely you, you'll ever get to that level because your body's probably is going to fight it off. But again, that's just me going off past viruses. I'm not sure if this one's the same. But that's a good point, though, because what if you're immune to it, so it's not affecting you, but it's still in your system, and you cough? Yeah. Yeah. What happens then? Yeah, exactly. Which is why they're, which is why um, they're going so hard on saying 14 days minimum self-isolation, or seven days for yourself, 14 days for the rest yeah. of your household. Yeah. And so yeah. that time, you should have, you should have dealt with it in that time. Your household should be fine in 14 days. And then if everyone does that, then in theory, the virus is done. It's gone. It won't be anywhere yeah. anymore. But since people still need to move around, it's still being transmitted and uh, so on. So social distancing, I think another criticism of the government is that people don't know what's um, what's like right and wrong because obviously you get people complaining that people are going to the park to sunbathe or whatever. Like how how do you what what is the correct social distance from a medical? You don't, you don't want to do martial law, do you? I mean. <laughs> But they say that you shouldn't be. That people are even saying it's airborne, like it just chills in the air, like. But viruses can't do that because virus, viruses can't do. It can float in the air for a bit. That's the thing. This is why they're getting they're, they're cracking hard on people even sunbathing outside. Mm. So these so, studies have shown that the particles can linger in the air for a bit. Oh, for real? Yeah. So it's really important to just stay stay indoors. To get a mask. But the masks actually aren't useful at all. <laughs> I know because they can still go. I can still go in your eyes or your skin, for example. Uh, well, well, I think well, you were well, saying well, the well. diameter of the virus before it's smaller than the pores in the mask. Yeah, thirty nanometers. Oh, oh 
so the virus is the, the only reason the mask is you should ever use the mask really is if you're sick yourself and you want to stop when you're coughing to stop the droplets going oh. down but in terms of the actual virus the virus can pass through the mask because it's smaller than the mask because it's the way because yeah because yeah, how, how it works is yeah because that that virus is around like a thousandth of the diameter of a human hair so it's like oh, wow. 15 to 300 nanometers you know smaller a lot more smaller bacteria uh, and apparently there were f- like some like fake masks that had been you know, sent from certain countries to Europe. I don't know if you like heard about that. I've heard of that, but uh, I wouldn't uh, be surprised. Uh, <laughs> All right, cool. Um, so also, um, I wanted to talk quickly about how um, scientific um, institutes are collaborating around the world. So I know UK always prides itself. I had a call. Oh, how they're the collaborating? Oh, how they're collaborating? Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How are they? What are the different um, committees or whatever that meet to discuss how to tackle this around the world? The debate one is the World Health Organization, isn't it? Yeah. I think it's kind, of, it's kind of hit the world by storm. So we're all just kind of learning as we're going along now with this. And it's until we produce this virus, um, a vaccine for it, there's not much else we can really do other than social distance. That's it. Yeah, and then also, and then I'm spe- speaking about... Um, uh, the reason I mentioned capacity is because um, Jimmy, uh, how overworked are, is the NHS at the moment? Like realistically, uh, as someone who's working in the in the industry, how overworked are you guys? It's getting it's getting quite bad. It then obviously depends which hospitals you're at. Yeah. Obviously, not all of us can work in private private healthcare and, and ethics. But even even the private hospitals now being used for COVID patients, it's completely changed everything. We've never we've ne- the 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 plant has never seen anything like this before. Mm. It's, it's crazy what's affecting it. Do do private do private um healthcare institutes have the same facilities as the NHS? Because I was wondering why Boris went to St Thomas. Unless yeah, they, they had like them, a them, them, them ventilators that have Gucci on them and like what is in St Thomas? No, in, like, in private healthcare, Gucci, bro. You know, but air the seat, bro. And <laughs> <laughs> they have like Louis V on their ventilators, bro. But I did hear that um, once you get to a certain stage of your illness, then it's NHS. So, like, no matter what. It's the same equipment and things. For real? Yeah. Fair enough. I thought, you know, the oxygen you're getting in the Louis V one's different. But fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> how do you feel, how do you feel that? that what's, 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 how do you feel the Prince of England staying, staying alive all this time, fam? Yeah, they, they, bring, they bring that. They bring in organs, fam. <laughs> they bring in stuff to the yard, fam. But anyway. Um, well, you're like, 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 get out, innit? Um, <laughs> also, well, what kind of numbers? Are you, what kind of numbers are you seeing in ICU? And like, you know, what are your thoughts on this whole weekly clap for the NHS? What's that? What are your thoughts on the whole weekly eight pm clutch on the NHS? And I think it's really good. I think it's really important to build morale as a community. I know some people think it's nothing really or whatever, but people really underestimate the spirit and what high morale can really do for people. Even in the past, even in World War Two and things, you just saw the way like British morale and things. It's a game changer. They should build morale. United. They should build morale in your bank account, fam. Man, are clapping. That'd be good as well. At least let you wear. At least let you wear that Louis V scrubs. But would you say? Would you? Would you say there's a shortage of ventilators or or thing? Well, also, yeah, go on. 
Like I was saying, it's the flat in the curve thing. Once we get, as in we don't have as many ventilators as we have sick people. Too many people are getting sick. There are not going to be enough ventilators to go around. And then people are going to have some making difficult decisions. So it's really, really important that a lot of people don't get sick at the same time. Like it's fine if people get sick over a period of time, but not at the same time. That's when it's critical. Okay. Okay. So, so this, is, this is a question that I feel like has to be asked. So like, to what extent are we already at a point where we have to ration the ventilators, so people have to pick and choose who gets them, which means people are picking and choosing who gets to live, who gets to die. And how are those decisions made? Who are they made by? Well, that's not really made by. My, um, I'm not really involved with that in at my level of training anyway. That's more the respiratory consultants, the ITU consultants, mm. Mm. that are making those kind of decisions. It's not really picking and choosing who dies. It's obviously they're just trying to give everyone the best treatment they can. Mm. They make a decision and they say, based on these guys' symptoms or these guys' injuries, um, we think he's less likely to live than this guy if we gave him the same equipment. And they make a decision based on that, I guess. Yeah, to a certain degree, yeah. Okay. Let's go into future outlook then. Um, what do you predict for the future? What's that? If you think you said the same thing, you carry on. Oh, so I was just saying, what do you both of you predict for the future? How do we get out of this? What's the exit strategy? Well, the actual strategy is social distancing. That's it. I'm hoping we're we're hitting our peak now, and I'm hoping forever, guys. What's that? But remember, when, when, forever, you immunity, when you get immunity, though, it won't be forever, innit? You know what I'm saying? It won't be forever. So once, like I was taking before, the the R naught number. If we can get that, that the number of infections are dropping each day and eventually peters out, and we've won against this virus. But the longer people keep breaking quarantine and stuff, the longer spreading them the long we have to be on lockdown for and also um, the bear mind. yeah sorry go on sorry I, was gonna say, I don't know about you guys but i'm i'm, I'm kind of over this whole lockdown for um, i am fed up i've got i've got rosé to pop bro let me tell you but do you be honest though it's good i'm saving money you know i'm stacking peas <laughs> comes and blowing it all bro that's what I'm I, just, I really want someone to come because i don't want this but, but then that's the thing though future Let's say we get released from social distancing in June, and that's optimistic. Second peak, second peak. I'm optimistic. What will, but a lot of these restaurants, a lot of these bars and clubs, they're not really going to allow mass gathering until maybe September. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I think that's the thing. If the, the theory with social distancing is everyone, everyone stays in your home, facial front in your home, and you stay there, and then within 14 days, There's no virus anymore to actually spread around. That's the but theory, anyway. But obviously, that can backfire really hard. Whereas, even if you have a couple of people still having the virus and you have a mass gathering, then it's just going to trigger the second wave. But what we need, what we need to have tested everyone to see they actually have the immunity and the antibodies, antibodies, and like, how can you know? In the ideal world, yeah, but realistically, well, it's just assumptions again. Exactly. We're playing the worst case scenario now. We're assuming the worst case scenario. So that's what I'm saying. If you have any mild symptoms, okay, you can isolate for 14 days. It's just literally, we're assuming the worst. If everyone assumes the worst, then we can beat this virus. My man said, that said final snaps his fingers. I mean, you know, the conspiracy <laughs> theories, but you know. I'm going to ask a quick one. I know we didn't touch on it before. Uh, I'm probably going to have to put this towards the beginning. Um, what does the current uh, coronavirus test look like? Yeah. So it's a um, uh, swab. So it's a 
esophageal swab. You swab the base of the back of the throat in order to try to pick up the viral load. Yeah, that sends off to the hospital. That sends off to the lab, sorry. I thought from videos, a bit of a little bit painful to me. Fam. No, it's just a swab. It's just swabbing. Put yeah. stuff through their nose and stuff. Yeah, I saw it going yeah, high so up the nose, you know. Yeah, one of them going up the nose, but it's just, also just, it's just getting a swab, basically. It's a bit uncomfortable, but it's not. It shouldn't be painful. Alright then, um, quickly, I think it's important we do a quick spotlight into you. So you said you grew up in South London. Yeah. Um, how did you just talk to us briefly about your journey into medicine and, you know, like you know, one of the national heroes? So I'm like, I'm even clapping for you here, fam. You know, like... <laughs> <laughs> so give us a bit of a um, yeah, brief background into into your. So I was just um. Uh, so I kind of grew up in, well, I was born here, uh, grew up in Africa, Lebanon with my grandparents, came back here when I was like seven. Um, always wanted to be a doctor, really, growing up. Um, so I pursued the sciences in my life, you know. My mom and dad made me face my front, you know, thank God for them. Um, did the exams, did the things and got us into the, a program called the EMDP program. So that's for people that don't, because I don't even know if it's changed now. I see now I'm, I'm getting old now. Like back in my day, when we were applying, back in sixth form days, <laughs> the majority of people that went into med schools normally came from private schools, grammar schools. Things like that. So the EMDP program specifically um, targeted state schools, people from that background, in order to give them a chance in medicine. You know, they came through, I applied to that. I managed to get into King's College. And... You know my friend, actually, my friend Catherine Omoteo, maybe. Oh, what, what, what are you in? Uh, I don't know, she's, she's, she's a GP now. Oh, JP now. I probably would know, actually, if I saw her. You're there for cool, so yeah. long. You're, you're there for seven years. Yeah. You're there everyone. Well, does Catherine work in King's? No, oh, she worked in King's... Um... Um, university, King's College. Yeah, Jamil's a bit older, cause F three than F three, but that means he's, oh. this is his third year after um, studying. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. Come on, Sam, man, his level still this be. Jamil made it more than I did, cause remember I, I applied to medicine and I didn't get in, so. Oh, did you? Yeah, yeah, I applied. I, I went, I went all guns blazing. I tried to go Cambridge, UCL, Imperial. And another one. University of East Cambridge, Cambridge didn't even give me the time of the day, you know, so. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know bro, what can I say, bro? I don't know. I don't know. I applied for University of East Cambridge. Okay. <laughs> no, you did your thing, man. That's why when, when Jamil was saying, oh, I did the exams, like, it's light, fam. That's a big deal. Oh, no, 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 deal, bro. Bro, it was, it's not light. My mind got passing it the eyes closed, fam. <laughs> bro, bro, let me tell you, God, God is real, you know. Like oh, it's, well, it's not like, like. Are you going for it? Tell you, you you're not a pagan. Yeah, yeah. Oh my days, those those years. <laughs> that was God I'm telling you. That was God. That was, that was not like God. Oh man. So what I was gonna say as well is, so what would you say to a young guy that's like trying to be the next Jamil from Doctor Jamil? It's <laughs> <laughs> It's sick having someone called Jamil be a doctor. You know what I mean? Like you're not armed. Cash or Stuart. Before I give you them props, though, what are they calling you at work, fam? Don't lie. <laughs> what are they calling you at work? Are you Jamil or are you like 
Dr. J. You know what? You know what? Shave like Kinnam is changing name. Are you like yeah, Dr. Yeah, Dr. No. J? Or are you Jamil? <laughs> no, it's actually it's Jamil. <laughs> the title of this is gonna have featuring Dr. Jamil still. <laughs> but yeah, what would you say to a younger bro? Like honestly, just go for it. Like I know a lot of people feel I don't know in this climate it can be difficult, and it is difficult. I can't lie, but we're we're living a as an Afghan, we live in a part of the world in a time in a time as well where like, I know it's cliche, but the world literally is your oyster. Like you do the right things, you make the right decisions when you're younger, you stay disciplined, and you're gonna go far, man. Like it's just, it's really. I think there's a lot of temptation as well for young people these days. It's really easy to swerve off the path. It's really easy to be lured into doing some something else. But if you stay disciplined, you stay true to it, then yeah, then you can go through it, man. Amen, 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 amen. Uh, Ira, you got anything else to add? Or well, no, fantastic. I'm looking forward to listening to this when I edit it. Um, yeah, play it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you so, so much. Some stuff offline. Um, gonna, uh, Jamil, where, where can we find you? Instagram, LinkedIn, where can, where can we find you? Oh yeah, let me get my. I need to actually, I need to actually jump back on my Instagram and that. Have you got any quarantine radio? Man said quarantine radio. <laughs> we, we don't endorse that on my city. <laughs> we do not endorse that. What if I'm talking about? I'm talking about like really? sessions where I'm talking about sessions where you're, where you're educating people every day. <laughs> Yeah, I have a YouTube. I have a YouTube make the medical videos on. That's what I was talking about. That's what I meant. Yeah, yeah. I can't know that, bro. Fantastic, bro. Quarantine video every nine Fantastic. p.m. You know, t- giveable tips on how to stay healthy, innit? Don't know what you're talking right, about, bro. What's, what's what's the YouTube, bro? What's the YouTube? Uh, it's YouTube. Medic Enna. Medic Enna. Yeah. Right, we'll, we'll Last name's Enna. So M E D I C E N E. Cool. Ira will plug that in the thing as well. LinkedIn, Instagram, none, nothing like that. Uh, Instagram is Medicana as well. Medicana, cool. Hey, Jamil, thank you so much for jumping on. I really appreciate it. It's been an absolutely superb pod, fam. No, thank, thank you so, you much, so man. much, man. Thank you so much. Obviously, follow the podcast at My City Podcast on everything. Everywhere. Everywhere. Yeah. Follow. Uh... You got sex it to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah of course, yeah, of course, man. Yeah, yeah, I'll send you the yeah, links and that. You can share it and stuff. Uh, follow me personally, yeah. Sam underscore Luco. Um, follow Ire. Follow me on follow me on Instagram at um, Ire dot AE, which is I R E dot AE, and follow me on Twitter at Ire Liwa, which is I R A Y L I W A. As Sam said, and follow the podcast everywhere, Matthew Podcast, or YouTube as well. And thanks, Jim, for coming again. Thank you, everyone. Stay Don't safe. Stay Don't safe, worry. everyone, man. Stay safe. Stay safe. Love in a bit. In a bit. Bye.